This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Auto sales for U.S. automakers came to 17.2 million in 2017, but that number was actually a decline of 1.2% for the total in 2016. And that also snapped a streak of seven straight years of sales gains. But the industry doesn't seem to be that concerned as the rise in auto prices for some vehicles, as well as the want of consumers for higher-priced vehicles like SUVs and trucks, as consumers continue to head to their local dealerships. But what is ahead for 2018 with the auto industry? We asked that question and many others of John Paul McDuffie, Director of the Program on Vehicle and Mobility Innovation at Wharton's Mac Institute for Innovation Management. And also joining us, Paul Eisenstein, publisher and editor of the DetroitBureau.com. John Paul and Paul, great to have you with us. Thank you very much both for joining us. Thanks. Glad to be here. Thank you both. Uh, the sales numbers for 2017, John Paul, were slightly down, but how do you view the year in general? Um, I mean, I think it was a strong year. Everybody has known that the party would end sometime. Um, you know, there was a, a, a big buildup of demand that happened after the Great Recession, and that played out in record sales for a number of years, and uh, everyone knows it can't last forever. So this is an industry that's used to these swings in the business cycle. Nobody loves it, and, and possibly related to expectations, it's not looking as bad for 2018 as some might have thought. Paul Eisenstein, your thoughts? Yeah, I, the party's still on. Hey, you know, occasionally the the vodka runs out, but you still have plenty of beer left and uh, maybe even a shot of tequila, and that's what's going on here. I've spoken to a lot of executives here at the Detroit Auto Show the last few days and a subsequent uh, auto event, uh, and, and everybody's still pretty geeked. If anything, I think they were surprised that it didn't go down more. And as a couple folks said to me, almost almost sounded like they were playing out of the same uh, songbook, uh, if if the industry is only at 16.9 to 17 million next year, right. wow, that would have been a record not all that long ago, and they're going to be very happy. Uh, it really, really, everybody is is trying to whistle past one potential graveyard, and that's what could happen if things get a little bit weird with the Mueller investigation and uh, anything that could happen that shakes up the confidence in instability with the Trump administration, if I can use the word stability with the Trump administration. Well, being there in Detroit and with the North American Auto Show, what is just the, the general reaction of people about what 2017 was like, Paul? I found almost no nobody talking down. Uh, you know, in past years, uh, I've been covering this for 40 years, even in a modest downturn like this, people would start getting nervous. There was no sense of nervousness about the industry as a whole. I can tell you what, what if you'd like, what people were worried about. Right. Go ahead. That, that is where they're going to be devoting their money in the coming years. And yeah. There are three big question marks. Number one, Will sedans continue to sell? Uh, you may have seen the, the story that's been all over this morning, and that is uh, the Ford Motor Company announcing a 10% cut in their passenger car lineup and a 10% planned increase on in the light truck side. And that's pretty much what's happening everywhere. Uh, Chrysler, Fiat Chrysler doesn't build a single passenger car in the U.S. anymore. Uh, that's number one. Number two is the issue of spending on electrification. And number three is spending on the issue of autonomous technologies. 
two technologies that everybody knows they have to be working on, but the consumers have not told them that they want. So they're spending tens, even perhaps $100 billion or more on technology that they don't know if the market will accept. Well, I guess, John Paul, that's an interesting question to, to pose to you as well, because we've talked with you about, uh, you know, what autonomous is going to hold for us in the future and when we could actually see these types of vehicles on the road. Uh, all of this investment, and, and there really is no sure answer as to when we will see them on the road or if we will see them on the road. Yeah, absolutely. And um, this is also a, <coughs> excuse me, a dilemma that the industry has past experience with. Um, I remember hearing Carlos Ghosn once say at a, at a private meeting um, of executives that this is an industry where if we get innovation wrong, we get punished. We don't just get um, that, you know, people don't uh, don't adopt it, but they'll actually turn away from our products if we introduce innovation that they don't like. And um, so, you know, I, I think probably one thing that helps with autonomy is that there's all these different levels and all the companies are already doing something with the lower levels of autonomy so they can keep rolling out those as optional additional features in the high end of the product range. Um, it doesn't solve the investment puzzle of how much to put into the really advanced stuff of, uh, of sort of level four and level three or the strategic dilemmas about whether level three is even feasible, which, you know, Google says, no, 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 we don't want to be trying to transfer the control back and forth between the driver and the, and the computer. We want to have it be fully automated. Um, those are certainly big strategic um, dilemmas. I think the companies will be able to show the public and the media and the stock market and investors uh, and analysts progress with both of these kinds of technologies. I do think the um, perhaps part of the surprise in 2017 was a bit more of an uptick in the electric vehicle um, narrative, which I think had been dwarfed a bit by autonomous. You know, electric, we've had several surges of interest that have then been big disappointments in terms of consumer pickup. And, um, you know, we have some new things happening uh, with the high demand for electric in China, with yeah. some companies announcing some policies, future-oriented policies of getting rid of internal combustion engines out of their lineups. Uh, I actually expect that perhaps the investment dollars as well as the um, the, the broad kind of narrative about technology in the industry may shift a bit more towards electric uh, because the autonomous stuff is going to look further off, I believe, than um, some of the hype may have suggested. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Uh, Sergio Marchione made a point the other day. They've been a little bit lagging in terms of investing in both electric and in autonomous. And he made a good point. Uh, the technology is going to come. It's just a question of when and when do you, when do you shoot your bullets. Do you spend your money now, or do you hold tight right. and start to see who's winning and losing? Uh, and in some cases, you just make some tie-ups with the appropriate folks that are going to make your research, uh, do do the research for you, and uh, jump in when when it's ready. That could be an excuse for not spending the money, but it's actually a pretty logical idea too. Do you both and uh, Paul I'll start with you on this? Do you do you expect that that electric vehicles will have a a, a growth at some point here in the in the next few years? Uh, 
Yeah, actually, I do. And this is going to be a very interesting year. We heard a little bit about electrification at the show. One of the more interesting announcements was from Ford, which didn't show a new vehicle, but teased it during a Sunday night news conference. Uh, they showed a video that highlighted their plans for something called the Mach 1. You may remember that name. That was a name given to a number of high-performance Mustangs over the past decades. Mm. And it is going to be the name for a new super-high-performance, of all things, crossover right. uh, that could rival what we've seen out of Tesla with their ludicrous mode and make, may rival the Porsche Mission E coming. Uh, and, and one of the things that I think we're going to be very excited to see over the next couple of years, I think that consumers will be excited to see, is that automakers are, number one, increasing range. Big, big, important thing. Number two, they're dropping prices. Number three, they're going to put more excitement into electric vehicles. Nobody likes stone ponies. It's great to say, hey, I've got a green car, but it takes me 10 minutes to get up to speed on the freeway. Uh, you're going to see a lot faster, more interesting vehicles coming. Uh, and Porsche with the Mission E, Audi with the electric 200-plus mile range SUV, uh, Hyundai uh, with the Kona, which will be 250 miles and have reasonable performance. All that stuff puts excitement into the, uh, the electric segment and then you add the fact that prices are dropping, batteries are down from as much as $1,000 a kilowatt hour at the beginning of the decade to about 140 now, and that'll be cut in half over the next few years. Okay, now you're talking the 60 kilowatt hour batteries, you're talking about the reduction of dollars $40,000 in factory costs. Okay, all that adds up to a reason why battery cars now start to sound like something that makes sense to be in your driveway. John Paul? Yeah, I've I've been waiting for the industry to put more emphasis on the performance side and excitement side of uh, of electric vehicles. Um, you know the tremendous acceleration benefits um, without torque steer have been known uh, for years, and of course it's part of why a Tesla excites at the high end of of, uh, of its product line. It's why Formula One you know has an EF1 and. Uh, and it's, I think, part of why there's a huge wave of Tesla wannabe investors, uh, mostly out of China, now bringing a bunch of uh, electric supercars to, to market. So um, I think that's only good, you know, to broaden the appeal. Electric was so tied up with the notion of green environmentalism that I think it made it seem like, a, you know, a dutiful kind of thing that you did for mm -hmm. all the right reasons, but it was boring. Right. And frankly, there were products that corresponded to that image. So the uh, improvements in, in batteries, the price drops, all these things help make a performance promise real, not just at the high end, but you can show it at lower ends of the uh, product range as well. Well, we also still have the, the concern of whether or not there is going to be change to the mile-per-gallon standards as well for a lot of these companies, which obviously was moved up a few years ago to uh, 54.5 miles per gallon for the fleet. Uh, but there's obviously been a lot of conversation about whether or not that's going to come down, John Paul, and, and how that could potentially impact the industry. Yeah, and I'd be curious to know what, what Paul might have picked up um, out at the auto show about this. You know, we did expect out of this administration some immediate changes in regulatory policy uh, from the past administration, and there's been one small surprise, which is that the subsidies in the federal tax system for electric vehicles um, survived and are still in the new tax bill. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people thought Agreed. those would be immediately gone. 
And then I think the next uh, big question mark is what happens with the, um, you know, with the CAFE standards. Uh, probably the short-term targets are too complicated to try to unwind. And so if there is a, 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 a you know, a, a targeting by the EPA head to want to change these things, it would probably be for the next stage. But, uh, you know, you can see a lot of speculation out there about whether it'll come or be as, uh, as dramatic a rollback as people thought at first. So I don't know. What are you hearing, Paul? Well, I, I, what I have heard about the whole CAFE issue is that it's more likely to affect model mix. In other words, how many big V8s will Ford try to sell in its, in its uh, F-series pickup as opposed to whether or not Ford will go to more electrified vehicles going forward. Uh, I don't think you're going to see a major change in what the automakers are planning to build or scrap because of a rollback by, uh, by the Trump administration. First of all, it appears they're not going to make a wholesale rollback. They may sort of freeze things at about 2021 level, which is pretty darn close to the 2025 standard. Right. Uh, several automakers, Nissan for one, uh, has, and Honda for another, they've both told me that they are not changing their plans. That at most, what you'll see is automakers perhaps not try as hard to sell some of their more fuel-efficient models if, if it changes. And, and one reason for this is because they know at some point, it could be 2020, it could be even before if, if the Dems take control, of House and Senate, that uh, the standards are going to go right back to where they were. And remember, this is a long-term industry. Yeah. Okay, right now, it's 2018, uh, some of these makers are already working on vehicles that are going to come out in 2022, 23, 24, even 25. So they can't afford to just completely change their plans in terms of uh, dropping electrification and so on, just because the Trump administration might roll back cafe. You know, it's funny, Paul, in the times that we've had you on this show, and I think that ranges back three, three and a half years at this point, this mm -hmm. might be the first time we've had you on discussing politics where the auto industry is concerned. Well, politics <laughs> is very, very big in the auto industry right now. Yeah. And I will tell you that it's come up as much as almost anything during, during the last few weeks, and particularly during the auto yeah. show. Uh, we find that automakers are not unhappy about the tax bill. They, uh, they, they've gotten a bunch of money. Uh, Sergio Marchionne, the CEO of uh, Fiat Chrysler, said, thank you very much. You just handed me about a billion dollars, but I'm distributing a bunch of it to my workers, $2,000 checks to 60-some thousand people. Um, they're all uh, hoping that the tax bill doesn't uh, mess things up for the, for the middle class. You know, that's still a big debate who's really going to benefit. And if the middle class and, and uh, anybody in the buying segment of the market uh, winds up feeling like their their pocketbook has been hit, that could send car sales into a tizzy. Uh, and the other thing that everybody is worried about, they, they openly question the administration, is NAFTA. Mary sure. Barr, the yeah. CEO of, of GM, says she thinks it'll turn out well, but Sergio Marchionne told me the other day, he said, we hope they retune what they're telling us.
We are joined by John Paul McDuffie of the Wharton School, Paul Eisenstein, publisher and editor of the DetroitBureau.com. We're talking about the auto industry in 2018. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111, B-I-Z Radio 111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Going back to the technology for, for a second, John Paul, uh, voice assistants seem to be coming into vehicles. And it makes you wonder what the connectivity is going to continue to grow to be in the next few years to come uh, of what our vehicles are going to be able to start to do for us. Yeah, I mean, look, the interface between the driver and any kind of vehicle controls uh, still isn't solved by any means. Um, the move to more touchscreens will help in some ways, but unless everything can fit on one giant touchscreen, then you've got people going through menus and different screens. Um, voice control is promising, and let's face it, these uh, companies that are pioneering the, the home products have done better with voice recognition than anyone else. And to get that technology into cars where people are already familiar with the brand name and they can continue some uh, of their routines of using that um, can only be good. Uh, you know, I think we've talked about this before. The, the problem of distraction in vehicles is going up. The number of deaths in vehicle accidents uh, after declining pretty much linearly mm-hmm. for 50 years uh, went up from about 35,000 to 40,000 yeah. between 2015, 2016. I haven't seen the 2017 numbers, but I believe it will continue with that trend. So it's really a huge issue. Um, it's, you know, mostly people misbehaving with their phones, and we can't lay that on the automakers. But, um, you know, there's a wide range of effectiveness of the car companies uh, designing really good interfaces. Ford really blew it with their first uh, set of experiments with uh, Sync and Microsoft. The new Sync 3 seems to now have reversed that and put them at the kind of the top of the mm-hmm. ease of use uh, list. But I think the, these companies are going to be competing harder on this. They'll have technology partners that will help them get better. Behind the scenes will be this issue of control. The more the tech companies get the dominant role in the interface, the more they have the first chance to grab data which um, everybody wants access to, to monetize, and mm-hmm. the car companies don't really want to give that away. So it's, it's a complicated um, but important area. Paul? Yeah, uh, you, you've raised a bunch of good points, John Paul. And one of the things that I found most intriguing came out of the, uh, in this wave of new automotive announcements we've had over the last few weeks, came out of the Consumer Electronics Show uh, just last week. And that was the announcement of MBUX, the new Mercedes-Benz user experience, uh, which is going to start rolling into the new models with the a-Class, which unfortunately will be a European model, won't come here, but we'll see it on other models in the uh, next year or so. And it is a, well, it, it, you could almost call it uh, Siri or Alexa. Oh, she's going to talk when I say her name. Uh, <laughs> got you got to turn that I, off, I, I, I'm addicted, by the way. I've got <laughs> 10, 10 uh, Alexas in my home in my, in a getaway cottage, and I have two more which I haven't found a place to put yet. I don't want them in my bathroom. Uh, but um, but uh, 
this is as close to Alexa or Siri as I have seen. Uh, it's quite amazing. It's got some really cool technology. So, for example, there's a thing, what is it called? Uh, what three words is, I think, the, the system. You can come up with things like cool new sneakers. And guess what? It will tell you where you can buy sneakers, athletic shoes, or shoes uh, and give you directions to it. Um, it is as close yeah. to a, a a personal voice assistant as anybody has come up with, and it still lets you press a button and talk to Alexa. So I, you know, I, I I love that when I'm in my car now, I can talk to Siri, I can talk to Alexa in a lot of vehicles, I can get directions, I can talk to Amazon, and you're starting to see that uh, Ford recently. Uh, Jean Paul, you just mentioned uh, Ford making some improvements. Sync three. Uh, they're working Alexa in, so you can now uh, have a Starbucks waiting for you when you pull into the drive-up or pizza, and more and more is going to happen. Uh, you're going to be able to, con- you can on some cars, control things like your home lights, uh, turn the thermostat up when you're on the way home, and conversely, you can go into your home and say, Alexa, turn up the car climate control for me, mm. and it will have your car warmed up when you get outside. John Paul McDuffie of the Wharton School, Paul Eisenstein of the DetroitBureau.com joining us. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Paul, back to the, the the actual autos for a second. And we mentioned about how you know uh, Ford cutting back on the sedans, but it feels like we're starting to see kind of a rebirth of the muscle car or that type of version of car coming back into the mindset of automakers. Yeah, here's here's the interesting thing is that the one area that we're seeing a little bit of energy in the passenger car side is in the muscle car. I'm sitting here right now. I'm uh, editing a picture of a Ford Mustang Bullet. You may recall that. It's named after the, the movie Bullet. Steve yep. McQueen had his own peculiar, high-performance version of the Mustang for that great chase scene that uh, everybody should remember or see if they haven't. Um, and uh, it's interesting that Chrysler, which has dropped all of the American-made passenger cars, still makes a couple up in Canada, uh, including the, uh, the Dodge Challenger and the Dodge Charger, uh, including the 840-horsepower Demon, which I truly adored driving on a racetrack earlier this year. Uh, So the muscle cars have a niche, and they aren't going away. But what you're going to see is more and more high-performance muscle utes. One of the big debuts at Detroit was the American launch of the Lamborghini Urus, an SUV able to do Three, uh, 0 to 60 in 3.4 seconds and top out at 189 miles an hour. I'd like that on my local freeway. Yeah. Uh, I don't and, think I would like that here in Philadelphia, though. <laughs> uh, and expect to see a new elect- uh, a new uh, ute from Ferrari. They're calling it the FUV, the Ferrari utility vehicle. Yeah. Uh, we are seeing high-performance uh, utes coming from Lamborghini, from Aston Martin, and also muscle is going into the ute segment. And here's the interesting thing. We're going to be seeing high-performance utes using electric power. So that uh, Mach 1 I mentioned before will be a crossover, and it will be electric-powered. And, of course, uh, the the Tesla Model X can hit 
zero to 60 in less than three seconds with ludicrous mode. John Paul, uh, we have talked to you in the past and, and Paul about uh, the Takata recall, and there was another recent reti- uh, Takata recall. Uh, my question to you is, in, in looking at 2018, are, are recalls going to continue, and is there an end to the Takata recall in your mind? Oh. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I... I pretty sure that the, this data trend um, will persist, which is that cars are getting um, better on most quality indicators, uh, certainly long-term reliability, but most other things as well, and recalls keep going up. So what's going on? Um, you've got cars getting more complicated with more technology. You have consumer expectations rising. You may have more uh, aggressive regulators in some cases or, or other things that are bringing um, problems to the fore. Um, so I kind of expect that to continue. Of course, all recalls are not as the level of seriousness of the Takata one or the level of extensiveness. Right. Um, you know, Takata ended up being a uh, dominant, dominant supplier to so much of the industry over a period of time. And then when they're – and they had basically one design, which had this faulty propellant. So yeah. when uh, – and it was covered up for a long time. So – uh, my understanding is that it's just very, very slow. There's not enough capacity in the world outside of Takata to build all the replacement parts to get this done quickly. And then you also have the issue of getting people who may not be paying so much attention anymore to bring their cars in and get the get the darn replacement done. So I bet the Takata recall is gonna is gonna linger for a long time. It's gonna be like the bleak house of uh, oh, recall. Oh God. <laughs> Great having you both with us. Thank you, John Paul. Paul, sure. thank you as well. Greatly appreciate it. Great to be with you. Happy Th- New Year. Thank you both. John Bye-bye. Paul McDuffie from the Wharton School. Paul Eisenstein, who you can follow. Uh, the website is thedetroitbureau.com. Great website with a lot of things involving the auto industry, which you can follow there. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.